0: Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. So how many of you like roller coasters? Anybody like roller coasters? Yeah, I'm seeing a few hands and, and, and a lot of heads shaking. Uh, you, either, you, you either love them or you, or you hate them. There you go. Let's see the true roller coaster aficionado. Uh, when they're, you know, they, they keep their hands held high uh, when, you know, they don't hold on. Holding on on a roller coaster is for wimps, right? Yeah. Uh, so there's all kinds of roller coasters. Uh, uh, you know, there's steel ones, there's wooden ones. Uh, I, I personally like the wooden ones because they, you know, they, they give a little bit. And you, you really get that, that thrill uh, as, you're, as you're riding. Uh, but there are, some, there are other people that won't touch a roller coaster with a 10-foot pole. I'm married to one of those. And, uh, and so, as you can imagine, uh, we have never had a family vacation at Magic Mountain. Uh, roller coasters are one thing. You know, you get on a roller coaster, you, know, exa- you think you know exactly what's going on, uh, but you know there's going to be a beginning, you know there's going to be an end. And sometimes it's a wild ride, and you know, sometimes you, you hang on, and sometimes you throw your hands up because you think you're smart and you're brave and uh, all that fun kind of stuff. Uh, but life, life, uh, I have found, is often like a roller coaster, uh, you know, some people say, oh, you know, it's like a merry-go-round. But no, a merry-go-round is very predictable. You know, you go around in circles, the horse goes up, the horse goes down, or whatever animal you happen to find yourself on. And then they always have those, those the, the, the places on the roller coaster that don't do anything, chairs, seats. I go, what, what's with that? Anyway, uh, uh, so I, I was never a merry-go-round fan. I like the roller coasters, and, and, uh, uh, but life is like a roller coaster. It's unpredictable. There's twists and there's turns. Uh, And uh, the only ones that go through this roller coaster ride uh, with their hands waving up in the air are people that are not all put together. Uh, You know, you got to hang on to something. Oh, my gosh. If if you don't hang on to something while you're careening through this roller coaster life, there's no telling where you're going to spin off to. So I'm thinking about that as I'm working my way through the uh, book of Hebrews with you. Um, uh, and especially today, Palm Sunday, uh, you know, we, we uh, had the triumphal entry uh, read for us by Alice and uh, we sang the songs and the kids were out there marching with the palm branches and uh, you probably, some of you that are in the back, you saw uh, Rebecca Smith, our, our children's director. She, she ran from that door to that door, uh, waving palm branches. You, people sitting up front, you didn't, you didn't see that. Uh, uh, but but while I'm telling you this story, open your Bibles. Uh, Open your Bibles to the sixth chapter of the book of Hebrews. Uh, Palm Sunday, just a a crazy time, and and, and, and throughout uh, uh, Jesus' earthly ministry, the crowds ebbed and flowed. I mean, there were, there were times when there were so many people around him that he actually got into a boat and pushed away from the shore so that he could speak to more people. And, of course, we know about the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, uh, during his earthly ministry, people just gravitated toward him. They'd never heard any, any teaching before. This guy taught with authority. Authority. You know, he wasn't quoting somebody else. Well, he was quoting the, the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, and, and then, of course, there were the miracles. The people's lives were transformed in the presence of Jesus. Uh, there, were, there were healings. Uh, uh, people were brought back to life from the dead. And as, as as Jesus continued his teaching, some of the teachings got a little hard, a little difficult. And uh, you know, again, a reminder of uh, the words of G. K. Chesterton, who said, uh, "Christian ideals have not been found, uh, tried, and found lacking. They've been found difficult and left untried." And so, people started uh, gravitating away. And so, you see this ebb and flow of popularity of Jesus through his earthly ministry. And then he comes. He comes into. Uh, he comes into Jerusalem. And. Uh, you know, riding on that, riding on that donkey, uh, and the and the people are just going nuts. I mean, they're laying their cloaks down on the ground. They're 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 uh, they're waving palm branches, which was a, 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 a this was a symbol of national identity. When when Israel became a nation, the question: well, Where are we going to put on the flag for our nation? Are we going to put the Star of David, or are we going to put a palm branch? I mean, that was the that was the question. So these these people waving, uh, I used to have a little flag up here. Uh, uh, people waving palm branches as Jesus was entering into Jerusalem was akin to what we see on the Fourth of July with people waving uh, American flags. It was a symbol of national identity. Hosanna in the highest! Uh, you know the Messiah. People were just so excited. And days later, I'm talking days later, that same group of people were an angry mob screaming and yelling for Jesus to be crucified. You want to talk about a roller coaster ride? That, I mean, that, was, that had to have been one of the most wildest rides of ever. The people to whom the letter of Hebrews was written. were Jewish background believers. And they were under a lot of pressure. They were probably living in Rome. They were being persecuted by the Roman government. They were being persecuted by their own people, the, uh, the Jewish people who saw them as, as walking away from their traditions. And they were actually even being persecuted by the Gentile Christians who saw them as being too Jewish because of the traditions that they held on to. And they were were in danger of drifting away. And so the, the author of Hebrews lays out a very challenging argument for us to follow and understand. It's been said that apart from the book of Revelation, that the book of Hebrews is one of the more difficult books in the New Testament. And to add on top of that, the chapter that we're looking at today, chapter six, especially verses four through 12, are considered to be some of the most difficult passages in the New Testament. But the author is laying out an, uh, a, a very precise argument is trying to establish to the readers and the hearers that Jesus is who he claims to be. That Jesus is higher than the angels, better than Moses, the greatest of all time. He is the high priests of all high priests. He is the one who has punched through the heavens, uh, broken, broken through the, 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 that final enemy of death and, and has made a path. He has blazed a trail for us, for, for, for people to be able to go into the presence of God and receive grace and receive mercy and receive forgiveness, to be brought back into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He's struggling. The the author is struggling, though, because the people haven't seemed to establish that firm foundation of elementary principles of Christianity hoping that they will get there someday. And I'm sure I'm going to start in verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, Therefore, let us, let, us, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God, instruction about baptism, and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. And then he issues this very stark warning. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, it is impossible for those to be brought back to repentance because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. The land that drinks in the rain after falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work, And the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy. But to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Tough words. I read, I was reading in one uh, uh, commentary uh, where the author says, yep, okay, now we're here. This uh, uh, This is a challenging passage. And he says, I have no doubt that there are some people who have picked my book off of the shelf in the store and opened it to read this very passage to find out where I stand on it because it is so controversial. Some people have said that this is the passage uh, that seems to indicate that one can lose one's salvation. That salvation consists of having been enlightened and tasted the heavenly gift and and shared in the Holy Spirit and tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers uh, of the coming age. And, and and if you have done that, if you have taken that step, if you have committed yourself to Jesus Christ, and now are thinking about falling away. If you are drifting, if the, if the currents of, of of your surroundings and your culture is pulling you away from God's truth, you're never gonna find your way back. I'm, I'm not convinced that that's what's being referred to here. When it comes to the question of whether or not a person can lose their salvation, I, I like to think about salvation as a, as, as a key. I have a key in my pocket, actually. I have a handful of keys. Now, if, 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 if this key represents my salvation and I put it in my pocket, and, and unbeknownst to me, there is a hole in my pocket. And then one day I reach in to find that key and I, and I don't find it, I find the hole. And I start looking around, what happened? What, happened? what happened to my key? It's gone. I don't think that one can lose their salvation accidentally. Now, if I take these same keys and I, and I go down to the bay or over into the ocean, and I take it and I throw them out into the water, guess what? Those keys are lost too. Why am I even having this conversation? What would cause someone to be so frustrated and angry with God that they would curse God and throw away the most precious gift that He's given to us? I do know that there are people who get very, very angry with the church as an institution. I understand that. And I know that the church as an institution has has driven people away from faith. And I grieve over that because as a church, we need to respond with grace to all while holding firm to our own convictions. Let's have the conversation. So all that to say is that I don't think, I'm just gonna go right on record right now as saying that I do not think that one can lose one's salvation. Now, the real question is, what does salvation look like? If, uh, uh, if, if I were to tell you that I was married, look, I got married, see, I got a ring but you never met my wife. I continued to do everything that I did before I got married. There was no changes in my life whatsoever except for a verbal comment that I gave that I I am now married. After a while, wouldn't you begin to think, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not sure he's really married. He doesn't act like a married man. So you would start to suspect that maybe I was being less than truthful unless, you know, I kept my wife locked up in a closet somewhere. And would that be a loving thing to do? No, of course not. You get married. You, there's that commitment there. And and the commitment is to grow. And, and you know, when you <laughs> I tell I tell couples this when I do premarital counseling, you need to understand at this point you both on your best behavior. And it's, it's, it's once you say, I do, and you walk down that aisle, everybody exhales a little bit. Whew. Okay. Because that's the beginning of the relationship. The, 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 the wedding day is not the marriage. The wedding day is the beginning of the marriage, and the marriage, hopefully, will last and at and, and, and last, because you get to know one another, you develop that relationship, you become transparent to that other person. And that's a scary proposition. But when you do that, when you allow yourself to know and be known, I think we come as close as possible to understanding the unconditional love that God has for us. But that's another Sermon. Verse 4, it is impossible. And you look up that word in in the original Greek, and you know what it means? Impossible. (laughs) It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, for those who have tasted the heavenly gift, those who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. Who are we talking about here? I can't help but think that we're talking about those crowds who were there on Palm Sunday who ushered Jesus in, waving the palm branches and and shouting, Hosanna in the highest! We see evidence of all of these things in the lives of the people during the earthly ministry of Jesus. To those who have once been enlightened, to have an authentic encounter with the person of Jesus Christ... And they did, and they were blown away because they had never seen anyone teach with such authority. Tasted the heavenly gift. There's a, there's a wonderful passage uh, where Jesus is, uh, 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 he's just finished feeding the 5,000 and he goes to the other side uh, and, and, the, and the crowds follow him. And they say, Rabbi, how'd you, how'd you get here? Well, and he said, you know what, you, you, you came not because uh, uh, of the miracles, you came because, you, you, because you, you got a free meal. That's all you want. And, and they said, well, you know, Moses gave our uh, ancestors uh, manna in the desert, what do you give us? Uh, and he said, you're mistaken, it wasn't Moses that gave it, it was God. And oh, by the way, if you're really interested, I'm the bread of life. They tasted that bread that Jesus, the miracles that they saw, they tasted the goodness, the heavenly gifts, the shared in the Holy Spirit. When you were with Jesus, you were with the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced that Jesus, fully God and fully human, everything that he did during his earthly ministry, he did in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that that same power is now available to us. They watched it. They participated. They saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. They saw him heal the blind man, the crippled, the lame, the the guy with the the withered hand. That was the presence of the Holy Spirit bringing healing into this world. They tasted the goodness of the word of God. Jesus unpacked scripture like they had never heard before. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are you, who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For yours is the kingdom of God. Oh, my goodness. It was like a cup of water to a person thirsty and dying in the desert to taste the goodness of the word of God and to see the powers of the coming age. People that watched Jesus die on the cross... And then rose from the dead, proclaiming the kingdom of God is upon you. You see, I think that there were people who witnessed that and said yes, and they followed Jesus. And then there were those who said, I can't do it, I can't do it, because Jesus doesn't meet my expectations. I had expectations. And, and this was true for the whole disciples. They had an expectation of Jesus that Jesus did not fulfill. And we talk about people, once they, 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 they turn away, it is impossible for them to come back. Well, you know, the disciples asked Jesus a question relating to that certain thing. And they said, Jesus, the teachings that you're, that, that you're giving us, who, who can be saved? No one. And you know how Jesus responded? He said, with you it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. So we need to be very careful at, at, when we read a passage like this. Who's he talking to? And, 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 and where's the responsibility here? The the, the challenge and the impossibility lies with us, not with God. And you know why? Because every time we take a step back from God, our heart hardens a little bit. And if you take another step back, it hardens a little bit more. And if you set in your mind that that I'm not going to believe in a God that doesn't respond the way that I think God should respond, then you're going to find yourself very, very far from God. I think I said it a couple of weeks ago. We can never, especially as we're looking at the world today. I mean, it's a madhouse out there. And, and, and sometimes we're, we're tempted to think, how, how, God, how can, you, how, can you, how can you allow all this to go on? And, and God says to me, he says, David, I have a plan. I have a plan from the very foundation of the world. And you're in that plan. You are not my plan. It's not about you, David. You get to be a part of what I'm doing. But you see, no matter where you go or what you do, there you are. And so often we get inside of our own heads. And when God doesn't meet our expectation, we want to rebel. And we want, and, and sometimes we just get angry. And you know what? When you, when you get that way, you know what you should do? You should go to God and just pour out your heart and tell Him exactly what you feel because He knows it anyway. The last thing you want to do is get angry at somebody else because we don't understand what you're going through. But God does. But God does. Faith is a wild ride. But it's one in which we need to hang on to with a death grip. Our faith. Because life will just toss us, and and you sometimes you just feel like a rag doll on that roller coaster going back. Oh, the worst one, Space Mountain. Oh my gosh, because it's dark. You're going through that roller coaster ride, and if, if if you can see, you know the turn is coming, and you can kind of prepare yourself. Not in Space Mountain. Man, that just throws you around like a rag doll. And that's more akin to what life is like because we don't see the twists and turns coming. And so to think that you can go through life with your hands open and not hanging on to anything is just ludicrous. We need to hang on. We need to hang on. Is it hard? Yes, it's hard. But it's true. It's true. And even though, and then there's this whole little this whole little parable. I know I'm running out of time. Just give me a few more minutes here. The, 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 the land, the, the, two, the verses there, 7 and 8, the land drinks the water, often falling on it, produces a crop, blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah, excuse me, sorry, Lord. Uh, <laughs> produces a crop useful for those for whom it is farmed. Receive a blessing of God, but the land that produces thorns, thistles, is, is worthless, in danger of being cursed, and in the end it will be burned up. When I read that, you know, they were agrarian. You know, when, you know, when I read that, I, I thought about the parable of the sower and the seeds, we're the land, people. We're the land. The seeds. That's the word of God. And some of, that, some of those seeds fall on land that is not going to produce. And some of it falls on land that produces in abundance. And even though we speak like this, dear friend, we are confident of better things in your case. Things that accompany salvation. What are the things that accompany salvation? Please, somebody tell me. Fruit of the Spirit, Pastor. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Those are the things that accompany our salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget the work and the love that you have shown Him as you have helped people, His people, and continued to help them. So, see, their faith had substance, it wasn't just a verbal assent. They were engaged in caring for one another. To love is to will the good of another. We do not, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. You know who I think the lazy are? I think the lazy are the people that don't think deeply about what it is that they believe. It is so important for us to think deeply about what we believe and then ask ourselves the question do we believe what we believe is really real? Because if we believe what we believe is really real, it's going to change the way that we make our decisions in life. Which comes back to a basic question Does my my life revolve around what I believe? Or does what I believe revolve around my life? The latter is shaky ground because my life is a mess. And if I couched my beliefs based on my own life, I perish the thought. That's why it's so important for us to know what the Word of God says. It is that external authority in our lives, that mirror that draws us back to God who he is and, and, and how he wants us to live. I think the lazy are the ones that get involved in mob mentalities. And I hate to say it, but I think we see that at the beginning and at the end of Passion Week. I think what you see as Jesus rides in, I mean, it's a great day, and everybody is yelling Hosannas and waving the the, 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 the palm, palm fronds and pom fronds, and I think it's mob mentality. And a few days later, the same crowd. They're whipped into a frenzy by by a different voice. I think that whether they are waving palm fronds and shouting hosannas or, or demanding that Pilate crucify Jesus, I think that it is a function of mob mentality and they are basically lazy thinkers. If you let someone else do your thinking for you, Dare I say it? You're lazy. And we cannot afford to be lazy. There's too much at stake. The the ride is too wild. And God has promised us not a merry-go-round, not a walk in the park, but a challenging life filled with twists and turns that sometimes just make us weep But at every moment, every step, he is there, bringing peace into our hearts that belie our external circumstances. Oh, it is a wild ride, but one we need to hang on to with all our strength, with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. It's a ride worth getting on. And God will see us safely through to the other side. Let us hold together, encourage one another, think together, serve together, love together. Because like any ride, it's best when you share it with someone else. Mm Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. I don't know if it's a true story or not, but uh, uh, I heard about a, about a guy who bought a mobile home, and he's driving down the freeway and uh, got a little thirsty, and so he set the cruise control and then went to the back to make himself a cup of tea. <laughs> well, see, you know what happened. Uh, right off the side of the road. There is no cruise control uh, on the Faithmobile. It just doesn't exist. Uh, we have to pay attention at every moment of every day to make sure that we stay on that right path. There's a thousand minute corrections that we make to keep us moving forward and we do it together as we think deeply about our faith in who we are in Christ. In his epistle, John wrote that they went out from us to show that they were not of us, for had they been of us, they would have remained. Let's remain together. Let's work through it together and celebrate the gifts that God has given to us as we live into this kingdom. Hope to see some of you on Thursday night. Hope to see you next week. Take this week to think about who Jesus is, what he did for us in preparation for celebrating his resurrection.